Hey, this is Carrie Glassman, and today we'll be mapping the diet culture on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix Special Nutrition Therapy Series, where we're going to dive into the approaches, practices, dietary theories, and healing foods that have been used in the most successful practices across the globe and throughout history. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. The 15-Minute Matrix is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons, which highlight the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition, and that's the functional matrix. The functional nutrition matrix reminds us of three very important factors in clinical care. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15 Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with my friend, Carrie Glassman. Carrie Glassman, MS, RD, CDN, is a renowned celebrity nutritionist, healthy cooking expert, and wellness thought leader. She is the founder and CEO of Nutritious Life and the Nutritious Life Studio, an online certification that provides unparalleled forward thinking education to individuals of various backgrounds looking to establish successful careers in the health and wellness industry. Carrie is a Today Show tastemaker and a contributing editor and advisory board member for Women's Health Magazine. She is the author of four best-selling books, including The New You and Improved Diet and The O2 Diet. She's also regularly featured on national television programs like The Today Show, Good Morning America, and The Rachel Ray Show, and is a prolific contributor and commentator for countless other top media outlets. Carrie, welcome to the 15 Minute Matrix. I'm so excited to have this time with you. I'm so excited to be here with you, Andrea. I cannot wait to chat with you. We're talking today about diet culture. It's a bit of a prickly topic these days. Can you just help us see how you define diet culture? You are correct, by the way. <laughs> it is a very prickly topic. It's almost so prickly, you almost get scared to talk about it. But we can't be scared to talk about it, right? We have to talk about it. And we have to have a, a big conversation about it. Because so you asked me, you know, how do I define it? I think that it's not even necessarily about defining, let's say, what is diet culture? What does that mean? It's more what is diet, right? Mm -hmm. So I think when I think of diet, I like to think of diet as a noun. We all have a diet. And I remind my clients of that. We all have a diet. The three-year-old that you see on the street in the stroller eating a popsicle has a diet, right? right. It's that we've, we always have to remember that, that even if we are vegan or we are paleo or we are on some healthy plan and we eat something you know, that is totally off that plan. That doesn't mean we are 
you know, all of a sudden not vegan or not paleo or not, we just ate something, right? right? So we have to look at it like we we all have a diet because we all eat. And from the moment we are we were born, we all have a diet. Yeah, I love that you're saying it's a noun, Carrie, right? Like it's a right. noun. It's not necessarily a verb or that diet that we have that is a noun isn't the adjective that describes us. Exactly. And that's the problem is that people think of it as a verb. They use it as a verb. I'm on, I'm going on a diet. I need to diet. I'm dieting. And that changes the, the way you look at your diet. It's, I'm on this diet. I'm going to go off of this diet. I need to diet. You know, it's, it's, it's really, we all have this thing that's this diet, right? And so when we look at it like that, then we're looking at it more from the perspective of, okay, we all, we all eat, right? And once we get past that, then we can look at it from just a more open-ended perspective where we're not saying, you know, again, I'll go back to I just use the example, I'm vegan or I'm paleo or I'm going on this diet, I'm off of that diet, I need to do this type of a diet. When we look at it just from this bigger perspective of we all have a diet, we all eat, but that doesn't mean I'm following a diet. It means I eat. And so when we look at it again from that bigger perspective, first of all, then it just, it. I feel like it puts everybody more on this. I don't know the best way to say it. Well, we go into rest and digest instead of this fight or flight, like diet, not a diet. <laughs> like we just get so hypervigilant or scared or defensive. So that's a perfect way to say it. Exactly. It's like rest and digest. Exactly. We get into this calmer place about it. So when it so that's the first thing I want to say just about diet. So then let's think about when you know you asked about diet culture. So what I what I find to be the toughest part with diet culture right now is that there is this world of, you know, hardcore eat this many calories and you have to work out this much and you can never have this and you can't have that and follow this strict diet and use your willpower and here's what I looked like before and now here's my after photo and this intense like diet, diet. Like that's what I think most people think of when they think of diet culture, that like body shaming, you have to be strict, you have to use willpower. Like I think that's what most people think of when they think about diet culture. I think you said something really important there, Carrie, which is that it's so connected to body image, that drive and that desire is connected to some goal that may not be at uh, one, may not be at peace with somebody's sense of self. And that's right where there seems to be some contention. Absolutely. And that actually leads into, so you're, you're 100% right, like that leads into, I sort of, I think, what I was going to say on the other end of the spectrum is the love your body at any size, you know, this, you know, love yourself, anti-diet culture, food freedom. There's that whole other other end of the spectrum. And I think there's, there's I don't want to say there is a problem with both ends of the spectrum because I think that for some people, there is good. Some people will find something good on both ends, mm -hmm. right? I fall somewhere more in the middle. And 
it's that, and, and this is why, again, this is where it gets prickly because now, again, someone could say, well, what do you mean? Not everybody should love their body? No. You fall in the middle. You should only love your body if you're a certain way. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I mean is where I fall in the middle is I think that I always say to people that your relationship with food is like any relationship out there. It is not going to be perfect. My goal is always to get you to have the best relationship with food you possibly can, right? And so that means that you can have a good relationship with food. You can have a good relationship with your body and yourself and love your body, but you can also want to improve your physique for vi for vanity reasons and you can also want to improve your you know your diet and what you are consuming so that you can be a healthier person so you can have weight loss goals whether it's because you want to reduce your risk of heart disease and diabetes and stroke and cancer or because you want to see abs you can have either one of those goals and you can still at the same time have a good relationship with food and a good relationship with yourself and love your body. It doesn't have to be one end of the spectrum or the other. And so when you ask about diet culture, I always say, you know, it's it's more, it's not necessarily like defining diet culture. It's like, to me, if I defined that as diet culture, that would be a good thing, right? So it's really just how you view it. Right. It's so fascinating. So much going through my head, Carrie, as you're talking into this. First of all, the environment that we grew up in, and I know I'm a bit older than you are, but maybe not too much. But. I don't think so. I think we're right about it. I think we grew up in the exact same time period. A little bit older. So yeah, we grew up with a lot around uh, behaviors that our mothers had around their bodies and some newer culture for them about thinness that really seeped into who we are and how we thought about diet. I think many of us grew up with that verb of dieting or trying things, especially as our bodies were changing and shifting out of their prepubescent place into a more full or figureful uh, body, I think there was a lot of stigma around that and not wanting to be big and that we do have to unpack that whole culture that we grew up in that was around a certain body size and around eating certain ways. And people can tell stories about waiting for their moms outside of Weight Watchers. My mom starved herself. She starved herself while she was pregnant with me as the second daughter. She didn't want to gain the weight she had gained with my sister. So yeah, that sets things up. It set me up for nutrient deficiencies, right? So there's that. But then there's also this relationship that we have to develop with our body and what I like to think of as nonviolent communication with self, where I'm not overriding the messages my body is sending me, inflammatory messages, pain messages, in order to say, screw you, I get to eat what I want. I have to listen in. And to me, that's the goal of the quote unquote diet noun that we're eating to fuel and serve ourselves, not to harm ourselves. You are so right on. You're so spot on with that. And that's where it gets really tricky. And it's a complicated, it's a complicated relationship because it does involve both of these things like what I what you said it involves this 
loving yourself relationship, but also listening to those cues that are telling you, well, no, you don't need to eat that. Not because, oh, you look awful. You don't need to eat that. You don't need that on your thighs. It's because you don't need to eat that because that's not going to make you feel good tomorrow and be as energetic as you want to be. And that's a good thing, right? Like it's not, it's not because you don't eat something, right? Let's say you don't have dessert. It doesn't have to be this. I think on one, again, that one end of the spectrum is you're depriving yourself. Why are you depriving yourself and giving into diet culture, right? It doesn't have to be that. It's no, I don't want to have that because I want to be good to my body because I know I'm going to feel more energetic tomorrow if I don't have that sugar tonight. But it's because I love my body, not because I'm hating on it, right? It's like that it's this complicated relationship because so many of us did grow up with the I'm not having that sugar because I hate the way my thighs look, right? right? It's that it's it's almost like you have to get to that then loving yourself enough to then treat it well, which is very different than like what you said about how we grew up. And for me, it was my mom having the Scarsdale diet book on my kitchen counter. Right, right, right. And what you're talking about, Carrie, is health. Right. Like that is our goal more than somebody eating a certain way or getting rid of every marker. It's that goal of having that, as you said, relationship. It's a beautiful word because we're in relationship with our bodies and our bodies are in relationship with our environment. And I know you and I agree about this and have ways that we look at and teach into the fact that your entire environment or nutrition, as I should say, isn't just about what we put in our body. There's so many other factors that influence our response to food, our response to our environment, our body's responsivity. Can you talk a little bit about your pillars and how that's part of nutrition? Yeah, absolutely. Because as I always say, that it's not all about the food. I'm a registered dietitian, as you know, and I always say it's not all about the food. And when someone comes into my office, I often don't even get to the food until the third or fourth session because I have to focus on all of these other pillars, which include sleep and love more, which is the relationship pillar, and drink up, what how you're hydrating yourself and your sleep, you know, and in living consciously, which is your environment, the world at large, looking at your environment and how you are you know, your place in the world, but also your environment in terms of, is your refrigerator a mess? Is your desk area a mess and causing stress? Because all of those things impact our health, right? They impact our stress, which then it impacts, you know, our hormones, which impacts, you know, cravings, which impacts then what we're going to eat. And then our environment itself, if we have fresh vegetables cut up versus having snack foods out, like that's part of our environment. So all of these different pillars work together physiologically and behaviorally. So when you're working with somebody, you need to take a look at right their how they view how they view food, what their relationship is with food, but what their relationship is with themselves. And then you have to look at also all of those other pillars because all of those other pillars are affecting their relationship with themselves and then their relationship with food as well. Because if, I mean, just a, this is just a small example, but you know, if you if somebody is sleep deprived, right. right? And they wake up in the morning, their 
hormones are out of whack, like their ghrelin, their hunger hormones going to be raised, right? They're going to be hungrier than they're going to, and their stress hormones going to be up. And then they're going to crave, you know, more carbohydrates. So instead of maybe making that egg scramble with the leftover roasted broccoli, they'll probably want, you know, that chocolate chip muffin from the corner deli, right? But And a cup of coffee. Exactly. And a cup of coffee. And so you have to look at like that sleep pillar, again, as an example of something that's not only going to then affect their food choices the next day, but it's not just because, oh, I feel like having that muffin. It's They're hormonally set up to want that chocolate chip cookie more. But also we know that when you're sleep deprived, your defenses are down and you're not going to make as good decisions, right? So, and if you have a bad relationship, let's say, with your with food already, you might feel cranky and then you're going to be a lot more tempted to have that chocolate chip cookie. So you have to really look at all of those things. You have to look at the, like, so for that person, for example, it might be improving their sleep. So at least then they wake up in the morning in a better state to make better decisions. And then all of a sudden, okay, that person has woken up and they, they're in a place to make a better decision. They're not rushing around and, and tired and you know feeling bad about themselves because we know we don't feel as good when we feel sleep deprived. They take the time to have that, make that, let's say, egg scramble with the leftover roasted broccoli. And that then sets the tone for the day. And obviously that's just one little example. We could go through all of these examples throughout the day, but that's how all of these things work together. Yeah, I love this. And I think what's so important about what you're saying, and I'm going to just bring us back to the matrix, is that we need to understand people's triggers when we're working with them. And there are the triggers of our history with food and diets and diet culture. There's our triggers around our body being a certain size or shape. There's our triggers around food restriction or food inclusion or giving something up or deprivation. But there's also, like you're pointing out, Carrie, triggers around daily habits or things that occur in our day or week that can be their own triggers that then cause us to behave in certain ways that might not be serving. And that's what I really love about the work we do. We take this broader perspective. Nutrition is not a handout. When somebody comes to see us, we're not putting them on a diet, even if that diet is quote unquote, a healing diet without doing the deeper work and assessment. Like you said, it may not happen in the first visit. We need to really see who is this person coming to see us? What are their goals? And how do we safely help them to get there and to be in their best version of health? Exactly. And it's how, it's how to get them to their goals with developing that relationship with themselves in a positive way, right? If it's not there, many people, it's not there. Developing that better positive relationship with themselves, that positive relationship with food as they improve their health. I mean, I think there's many practitioners out there that see someone who, okay, they lower their cholesterol, they lost 20 pounds, they're off blood pressure medication. But if you've set that person up 
for stress because they're on a diet that they feel restrictive on or they feel deprived or they're not their lifestyle has changed so much that they're not being as social because they're afraid to eat certain things then ultimately you've just swapped one thing for another that's going to be equally as damaging eventually you know the dam's going to break again and then that person is going to be just in that same position again so it's improving that person's health at the same time improving the relationship with themselves and improving the relationship with food. They can't, you can't improve an area of someone's health and jeopardize the relationship with themselves or, you know, set themselves up to only, you know, fail in the future because they are doing something so restrictive. And you have to really look at, you know, all of the other factors, even including, like I just mentioned, friends and lifestyle and culture. What's that person's culture? Is it their culture? You know, and I don't even mean just necessarily culture like in, it, it could be a culture even like someone's food culture at home. Like they have, their family has a little dessert every night, okay? And that's something though, but that's family time and they talk about their day and they laugh and tell jokes. Like you don't just take that out of somebody's life just because, okay, nope, you're not supposed to have dessert every night. You figure out a way if that's bringing someone joy and laughter, well, then you have to take that into consideration. Just like you have to take into consideration someone's finances and access to food. I mean, there's so many things you need to consider when you are creating a plan and helping someone improve their lifestyle. Mm, Carrie, I know you and I can keep this conversation going and it's a controversial one. If it is triggering for any of you listening, please know Carrie and I are just skimming the surface of the complexity of people's relationships to our bodies and to the food we eat and to how we journey towards health. So Carrie, I don't know if you have anything to top that off, but I know you and I could just keep going on this topic. Well, I think you're absolutely right. I think that that you are correct that this whole topic is triggering for some people and it is controversial and it is such a big topic it's hard to it's hard to get it all in in 15 minutes but i think what's important here is that we're putting it out there that there isn't a right or wrong here and what's right for one person might be wrong for another and vice versa and there isn't and what's right for one person at one time in their life might not work five years later. And so it's just what's important, I think, is that we keep an open mind to our relationship with ourselves, with food, our goals, and we look at the big picture of everything going on in our life, including, you know, our relationships with with people, the love in our life, our environment, and, and all these other things that we already discussed. Yeah, beautiful, Carrie. Thank you so much for diving into a complex and complicated topic with me today. You're so welcome. I love chatting with you always. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. 
You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified by email each week about our podcast releases, head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, please feel free to get in touch with us. We would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. Thank you.